I don't believe in ghosts, but... by Jeanne Robbins. There was something strange going on that night at the George and Dragon Inn. I like ghost stories. The eerier, the better. But when the story is over and the hair on my head is lying flat again, I invariably laugh and say, of course no sensible person believes in ghosts. Until recently. Now I don't know. I was in London last January and decided to drive up to Oxford to do some research in one of the libraries there. On the evening of Wednesday the 18th, at the close of a bone-chilling rainy day, I rented a motor car and set out on the A40. Passing through West Wickham, a village of brick and half-timbered houses so quaint that time seems to have bypassed it, I stopped at the George and Dragon Inn. The menu was pure 18th century English, mutton broth, steak and kidney pie, treacle pudding. When my pudding arrived, I noticed a large hole on one side, as though someone had put a thumb in it. I mentioned this to the waitress. Oh, rot, she exclaimed. The white lady's walking again. I do wish she'd keep out of the kitchen. The white lady, I inquired. Oh, she's our regular ghost, the waitress said. Later, I asked John Boone, the ruddy-faced proprietor, whether he had a resident ghost. Yes, indeed, he replied, and she's a bit troublesome at times. Sorry about the pudding. The fact is we don't quite know how to deal with her. She was a poor serving girl who was killed in one of the chalk caves down the road. There's an underground tunnel that leads from the inn to the caves. She was victimised. Very sad tale. He nodded towards the larger room beyond, quite clearly the village pub or local. Lift a few glasses in there and you'll get the whole story. Among the occupants of the pub that night were a chairmaker who had a bristly upturned moustache, a bricklayer who still wore his striped work apron, a young man in checked vest and black bowler, a red-haired woman whose family had been five generations in West Wickham. It was these four, largely, who recounted the story of the white lady of the local. It happened 200 years ago. The white lady, whom my narrators called Suki, was 16 years old. She worked long hours at the Georgian Dragon. With two other girls, she shared a bare little room in a chilly and distant wing of the inn. Suki was an extraordinarily pretty girl, with golden hair and a delicately turned figure. She was well-mannered indeed. She gave herself such airs and graces that the other servants mockingly called her your ladyship. She was ambitious to raise herself in life through a good marriage, and there were three likely prospects among the habitués of the inn. She set her cap for all three at once. So occupied did she become with the simultaneous flirtations that she took to dreamily tripping over doorsteps, spilling soup on the customers, and confusing or forgetting her instructions. One rainy night, a handsome young stranger rode up to the inn, left his muddied and exhausted stallion in the hands of the ostler, and sat wearily down at one of the copper-sheathed tables in the public room. A tankard of ale revived him, and he winked cheerily at pretty Suki as she set his dinner in front of him. Suki became so confused that her thumb slipped into the bowl of treacle pudding, splashing a blob of it onto the young man's knee. She blushed and gasped, but the young man only laughed. The landlord, in a rage, boxed poor Suki's ears and sent her weeping from the room. The unknown rider returned the next night, and for a month he came several times a week, always looking for Suki. He would pinch her pretty cheek and make her giggle with some foolish flattery. He had introduced himself to no one, 
but from the cut of his rich clothing and the confirmation of his horse, he was clearly either a prosperous highwayman or to the manor born. Suki preferred to think the latter, and went around humming and dreaming, and more useless than ever. Meanwhile, her other admirers scowled jealously from the far end of the dark-rafted room. As Suki continued to ignore them, they concocted a crude practical joke to bring her to her senses. A scullery lad was sent to Suki with a whispered message, purportedly from her mysterious lover. He said to tell you he's a noble lord, and he wants to make you his lady, the lad said. Meet him at the chalk caves at ten tomorrow night, and wear a proper wedding gown. Poor Suki swallowed the bait. She dashed up to her mistress's bedroom, ripped the linen sheets off the bed, and within the next 24 hours, stitched up a handsome full-skirted white dress. And at the appointed hour, she hurried along the damp tunnel to the chalk caves. There, of course, she found only her three jilted sweethearts, a little drunk and roaring with laughter. Here comes her ladyship, they cried. Welcome, my lady. Half mad with fury, she picked up lumps of soft chalk and hurled them at her tormentors. But then, as she whirled to run back, they caught her, pinched her and kissed her and spun her round. She kicked and clawed at them. In the scuffle she fell, striking her head on the wall. Frightened and remorseful, the men carried her, unconscious, back through the tunnel to the inn and to her bed. Then they tiptoed away. In the morning, the other girls found Suki dead. Her three suitors told what had happened. But the sheriff and the local curate looked at the body and felt that Suki had not died of physical injury. Perhaps, they suggested, it was from humiliation and a broken heart. Neither Suki's aristocratic-looking lover nor his flashy chestnut steed was ever seen again. But a few days after Suki's burial, the two maids who shared her room moved out. Strange things were going on in that room, they declared, and they wanted no part of it. After the tale ended, I went into the kitchen and asked the proprietor if I might spend the night in Suki's room. If you really want to, he said doubtfully. We've got other rooms. My own dog won't go in there. If the white lady had her thumb in the pudding tonight, she'll be there, mark you. What happens, I asked. He shrugged. Depends. Some say they see a lady all decked out in diamonds with a coronet on her head. Most say they just, well, see and feel something. It's uncomfortable, that's all I know. You haven't got high blood pressure or anything, have you? A little while later, I was tucked up in bed in the room where I was told that poor Suki had met her end. I read a while, yawned, then pulled the chain on the room's only electric light, a single bulb fixed to the wall behind my head, and in a few minutes was asleep. Many stories of ghostly encounters begin with, I don't know what woke me. I was sure I knew what woke me. Some joker had sneaked in and put a damp, cold hand on my forehead, or an ice-cold slice of liver more likely. Anything to panic the silly tourist. I angrily yanked the light chain. No one was in the room. There was nothing on my forehead. The phenomenon was repeated several times. Cold hand, snap on light. Cold hand goes away. Snap off light. Cold hand again. At length I got the message. Something wanted me awake, but in the dark. I turned off the light and sat up, eyes open, staring into blackness. Almost at once, I saw a pinpoint of light glowing about a metre off the ground near the door. A pencil flashlight aimed through a keyhole, I thought scornfully. I watched the shaft of light grow wider and stronger. 
It had an opaque, pearly quality. The apparition of the white lady, if indeed it was she, was now about half a metre in diameter and over a metre high, still hovering near the doorway. I turned on the electric bulb. The room looked as it had before, bare and ordinary. I turned it off again and the strange light reappeared. I flung back the covers and carrying my heavy book in one hand, walked resolutely towards the door. Any prankster lurking in the hallway was going to get a good clout. A few metres from the door, I abruptly entered a zone of intense cold. My breath became laboured. My arms and legs felt heavy. Was I having a heart attack? Was I just plain quailing from fear? As I stood there, I was swept by a sudden anguished depression. Welchmertz, world weariness. Life seemed futile, beset by tragedy. Life must have felt this way to poor Suki, I thought, with no one to stand up and protect her dignity. At this sympathetic feeling, the light ballooned forward and seemed to reach for me. I backed hastily across the room, jumped into bed and yanked the electric light on. I tried to think. The power of suggestion. Was that why I was seeing a ghost? But if the ghost was only an emanation from my own subconscious, why wasn't it as I'd been told? A beautiful lady in white who wore diamonds, instead of a formless blob that looked more like a large floating oyster and felt colder than seawater. I considered the possibility of some kind of clairvoyance. A message from home, perhaps? I looked at my watch, 3.15am. My thoughts flashed across the sea to my country home, where my wife was alone with our younger son. In this less than cheerful frame of mind, I waited for daylight. Breakfast, I had been told, was at seven. I was in the dining room, dressed and packed five minutes early. Well, did you see anything of the white lady? The landlord inquired. I told him what I had experienced. He nodded. That's her, all right. Some claim she's looking for her lost lover. Others say she's out to find her murderers. My wife tells me I should have a priest in to lay her ghost to rest. There's a regular church ritual for that. But I dare say she brings in some trade. Will you be stopping here on your return from Oxford? Quite likely, I said bravely. But when I drove through West Wickham a few days later on my way back, I was behind schedule and caught only a fleeting glimpse of its imposing roof lines as I sped on to London. I honked as I went past. This story, like all proper ghost tales, has an epilogue. When I returned home the following week, my wife greeted me excitedly. You know, I had the strangest experience one night, she said. I went to bed early, and just as I was drifting off to sleep, I heard you calling me. I jumped out of bed and thought I saw the lights of a taxi in the driveway. I was sure you were standing on the terrace shouting to get in. I ran downstairs and opened the door. There was no one, nothing. But I tell you, I heard your voice. I saw a light. It was weird. You must have heard a truck changing gears, I said. And you probably forgot to turn off the front light as usual. Uh, by the way, when was this experience? She said it promptly. Last Wednesday at a quarter past ten. Allowing for the five-hour time difference, this was exactly when I was dealing with the presence of the white lady. You figure it out. I prefer not to try. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. 